0: is to share uh, your word with your people. I pray that as we consider our lives, as we think about what it means to run with endurance this morning, to live our lives for you, may you encourage us, may you compel us to live by faith and not by sight. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen do any of you like to run? Pastor James, I, there's one over there. I'm with you. I hate running with all my heart. And so, in fact, like when I'm running, I, I do run because I like to play basketball, but when I'm running for just like, like I'm going to run five miles or whatever, I'm thinking like the whole time. Every breath, it's like, oh, am I going to die? Is this my last breath? I'm, it's horrible. I hate running. So This uh, past year, my wife approached me and said, Tyler, I am going to run the Marathon of La Rochelle. And I'm like thinking, what in the world are you thinking? Why would you pay money to torture yourself? Like, why would you pay money to go run 26.2 miles? And so I I snagged a couple of pictures of my wife running. There she is right there, uh, running in the Marathon of La Rochelle. There we are at the end. But she completed, she ran the course, it took a lot of training, it took perseverance, it took uh, a lot of mental fortitude, but she finished. She finished the race, she finished strong. Throughout the New Testament, there are tons of metaphors that are used to describe the Christian life. Running is probably one of the the most often used metaphors that is used. In fact, there are five different times throughout the New Testament that compare the Christian life to running. We are exhorted uh, to run the Christian life as one trying to obtain the prize. We are to run with purpose, not aimlessly. Twice we are exhorted not to run in vain. And then in our text, we are called to run with endurance. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's not a walk in the park. We aren't called to jog or to coast our way through this life. No, God has called us to run. We're to push ourselves to the limit, to strive with all our might. There will be hardship. There will be exhaustion. There will be pain. But we must resolve in our hearts to run the race, to run the race of faith. How are we to do this? Well, in our text today, if we want to run with endurance, firstly, we must be encouraged by those around us. We must be encouraged by those around us. We are not alone in this race of faith. The very first phrase of Hebrews chapter 12 points us back to that. It says back to the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. It's filled with stories of those who took God at his word and followed him by faith. Even when it didn't seem to make sense, they persevered, they continued, they ran the race. Remember Noah? God called him to build an ark, a massive boat in preparation for a worldwide flood. Now this called to build this ark. It wasn't a short-term commitment. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go buy a boat. No, he was called to build an ark, and it took him over a hundred years to construct this massive uh, boat. Talk about a marathon of faith. I have not had a hundred-year project yet. (laughs) Anyways, Hebrews 11, verse 7 says this, By faith, Noah, being warned uh, by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Now, perhaps even more closely linked to our passage today is the men and women in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 and 38. Those who, despite being in hopeless circumstances or being first fiercely persecuted persevered in their walk with God well in the race with God we're not talking about walk we're talking about running here listen to their stories women received back their dead by the resurre- by resurrection some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life others suffered mocking and flogging even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom this world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These men and women, empowered by the Holy Spirit within them, counted the cost, and they were faithful to the bitter end. They ran with endurance. I love these verses because the people in them, they aren't famous. In fact, they're nameless. They aren't the quote-unquote heroes of the faith. They are your everyday average Joes who take God at his word and live by faith torture imprisonment nakedness homelessness death nothing deterred them from running this race i don't know about you but when i read stories of faith in the bible like this when i read stories of missionaries as you're going to have the opportunity to do here shortly who have given everything for the cause of Christ, and when I rub shoulders with men and women, godly men and women who love God and who live by faith, it encourages me. It encourages me to persevere, to continue running the race. Even when, as I'm huffing and puffing breathing, is it worth it, is it worth it? These men and women, they're shouting, yes, it is. It is worth it. And for me, this is why it is so important that we do not neglect the meeting together as is the habit of some, but we are to gather together encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. I love uh, living in France. It's awesome. And one of the things that I do love uh, living about is I get to rub shoulders with people these nameless people who risk everything because they believe that following Jesus is worth it. Perhaps one of the most powerful stories I've heard is about a young man named Zachary. He's studying at a Bible institute in France, and he's from Niger. So Niger is right there. And uh, it's in Africa. And uh, he's... He grew up in a Christian home. His dad was a pastor. In fact, uh, the church was about 150 people. So i put the two services combined, about the size of Horton Baptist Church. And uh, it's actually kind of ironic. But there was an event about eight years ago that turned their life upside down. So the irony is it was because of a newspaper article that was present, printed in France. They were mocking uh, the, the prophet Muhammad. And a Muslim extremist in Niger began attacking anything that they perceived to have a connection to the Western culture, to France, which included this church. Now, uh, Zachary and his family, they lived in the church above the, the church building, and they were just barely able to escape with the clothes on their back. Well, that is almost everybody. They, her, his sister was kidnapped. These evil men, they burned the church, they burned his home, they burned all of his clothes, all of their possessions, their car, kidnapped this young man's sister. Thankfully, by God's grace, she was able to turn on her cell phone and she was located by the Nigerian army and she was saved. Obviously, as you think about an event like this, it's something that's going to change your life. The church had to go underground, so now instead of uh, meeting as one body, there are five different house churches that meet, and uh, the pastor, Zachary's dad, he oversees them all because, well, they can't gather together in a building anymore. I come to think of it it's kind of cool to think about how God uses even tragedies like this to expand his church and his word. But so, what moves me the most about this story is Zachary. He's a middle school student at the time. Now he's studying to be a pastor in France. But he doesn't want to stay in France. He wants to go back to Niger to reach the people who took everything, quote unquote, from him in this life physical possessions, that is. Our current uh, situation in America and in France is different than in Niger. We aren't risking our lives by saying, hey, I'm a Christian, I follow Christ, I go to this church. But there can be real consequences, can't there? You might get made fun of by a friend at school because you follow Christ. You might be rejected by family members because you left the family church to join one that preaches God's word. You could be passed over for a job promotion because you don't affirm worldly positions on sexuality. You could even lose your job for living out your biblical conviction. There can be pain. There can be heartache. In fact, the Bible says there will be pain. There will be heartaches. There will be trials for those who follow Christ. Quickly look at the end of verse two. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, the the phrase, the race that is set before us, is a classical Greek expression for a race whose course is determined by the master of the games. In the Christian life, we don't determine what's going to happen on our course, on our path. It's an all-powerful, an all-wise, an all-knowing, sovereign God in whom we can trust. And so as we endure hardships in this life, whatever that may be, we can trust and we can persevere and, be in, uh, and we can persevere to continue to run the race. We can run with endurance. It is worth, worth it. And we hear the voices of those who have gone before saying, it is worth it. We can be encouraged by those who have lived by faith. Next, if we want to run with endurance, we need to evaluate our life. We need to evaluate our lives, and we must get rid of anything and everything that slows us down and trips us up. The word lay aside, uh, these two words in the original language, are often used when talking about an athlete preparing for a race. Now, I don't know about you, but I am very thankful that we do not prepare for races like they did in the day. We do not strip down to our birthday suit to run the race That's a good thing. But the author, what he's trying to get across is we're to remove every weight, to remove everything that could slow us down from completing our course. It has to go. If it slows us down, it has to go. In the same way, the writer of Hebrews, he exhorts all of us who participate in the race of faith, all believers, to lay aside to take off, to get rid of anything and everything that could hinder us from running with endurance, from living our lives for the God of this universe. Now, we are called to lay, in this passage, we are called to lay aside two things, weights and sins. For me, this is probably one of the most convicting parts of this passage. The author here, he is making a distinction between a weight and a sin. In other words, there are things in our lives that aren't necessarily wrong. They aren't sinful per se, but they slow us down. They slow us down. They impede our progress. They hinder us from doing our best, from running our race for the Lord. Now, we're not giving a list of what exactly these weights are in our life. In fact, it just says we need to get rid of every weight. I think it's an uh, invitation to evaluate your life and to see what is a weight in your heart. What uh, What is slowing you down? So as you evaluate your life, it's going beyond the question of saying, looking for weights in your life, it's going beyond the question of saying, Am I allowed to do this? Or is this right or is it wrong? It's asking this question. It's asking me, how is this helping me grow in my walk with the Lord? How is this helping me to run the race? If it isn't helping you, it's hurting you, it's slowing you down. That is what a weight does. So, as I've been thinking about this passage and evaluating my own life, uh, looking for weights, I'm kind of, I just, I hate watching the news, but I just like scrolling on Twitter to find my news. And I was evaluating my life, and I was getting kind of caught up with, there's a, um, don't worry about that. There's this guy, kind of, I was getting caught up with something that was just really bothering me. There's an issue in our church, and was, there's people that debated on Twitter, and I just kept reading and reading, and I was like, is this really helpful for me? Is this is really a, uh, encouraging in my walk with the Lord, so I was like, at the end of the day, I'm like, ah, I can delete Twitter. So I just deleted it. It's worth it. It was something that was slowing me down in my life. It wasn't profitable. What is that in your life? Could it be sports? It could be politics. Maybe it's even reading books. Those are not bad things. In fact, they can be good things, but they can become weights. They can hinder you in your walk, in your race of faith. Over the next week, I encourage you to reflect on your life. What are those weights that you need to get rid of? Back to our text. Not only are we told to get rid of every weight, we are also called to lay aside the sin that clings so closely to us. So what is the difference between a weight and a sin? As I said earlier, a weight is not an issue of right and wrong, but a sin, it is. Our author makes this, uh, one author makes a distinction between a weight and a sin like this. He says, Sin is sin, whosoever does it, but waits, may be waits to me and not waits to you. Sin is sin in whatever degree it is done, but waits may be waits when they are done in excess, and helps and not hinders when they are done in moderation. The one is a legitimate thing turned into a false use. The other is always and everywhere. Oops, sorry. Uh, everywhere, uh, sorry. The other is always and everywhere, and by whom, whomsoever performed a transgression, transgression of God's law. A weight might slow you down, but a sin causes you to trip up and to fall flat on your face. If you don't get rid of it, you will not be able to run at all. I like how the NIV translates this verse. It says, let us throw off the sin that clings, that so easily entangles us. My uh, parents, they just got a dog, well, they got a dog a while ago, but I was in France, so I didn't get to experience this, but uh, I just took Betsy, is her name, Betsy the dog, Betsy Betts. Uh, We took her on a walk, and she is a very crazy dog, and she likes to run all over on the leash. And as I'm walking her, she's just going all around my legs. And it's like hard to walk this dog because she's going all around. You can't progress. And that is what sin does in our lives. It trips us up. It does not allow us to continue to run the race of faith. Now, there's one word that I skipped over in this this verse, this, uh, this verse, it says, "Let us also let us also lay aside every weight, and the sin, sin, which clings so closely." The author is saying, we need to follow the example of those people that you just read about in chapter 11, who forsook their sin and got rid of anything and everything that was slowing them down. That was tripping them up. They say, they're saying, "Living by faith is worth it." Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 and 27. Is talking about Moses. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, and was not afraid, to be, not afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses laid aside the pleasures of sin and took up being treated mistreated with the people of God. Moses threw away the endless wealth of Egypt and chose the reproach of Christ. Moses didn't fear the visible Pharaoh, the visible king, but rather he feared the all-powerful, invisible God. How about you? Are you living for the eternal or for the temporal? Are you, do you love God or do you love money? Do you fear God? I think this is the foundation of it all. Do you fear God or do you fear Man, this is a great question. I think if you are married, uh, I think it's a great question to ask. Have your spouse, your spouse, ask you, honey. Uh, do you see any weights or sin in my life that are slowing me down? Do I live out these truths that I say I believe? If you're not married, ask the person that's closest to you. Hey, do you look at my life? Do you see anything? that I need to get rid of? Do I need to cast off? If you want to run with endurance, you need to willingly be willing to honestly evaluate your life and get rid of anything and everything that's going to slow you down or trip you up. Lastly, if we want to endurance, run with endurance, wow, oh, I am really struggling, but I'm used to speaking in French and... Ugh, First time preaching preaching or talking in English in a long time, well, speaking in public in English in a long time. That's all right. All right. If we want to run our race with endurance, we need to be fixated on Jesus. One of the main themes of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. In chapter one, he says, uh, Jesus is better than the angels. Chapter three, he's better than Moses. Chapter 4 and 5, he's better than Aaron. In chapter 7, his priesthood is better than that of the Levitical priests. His covenant is better than the old covenant. Jesus is better. That's one of the major themes of the book of Hebrews. And so while we can find and should find encouragement from the great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us, Our ultimate motivation should come from looking to Jesus. He is better. The word looking to in the original to direct one's attention without distraction. We have to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Even though uh, they exhibited incredible faith, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Rahab, they weren't perfect. They messed up. They got on a detour on their course. They sinned. Jesus, on the other hand, He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He did it perfectly. He ran with endurance. Uh, John MacArthur uh, said it like this, Jesus is the author of faith. He raised faith to its perfection and established the highest example of faith. He is the source of faith and he models it. He is the epitome of faith as an example of believing God in crisis that we can't even imagine. Look again at verse 2 looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that is set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God who for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured physical torture. He was mocked. He was humiliated on the cross. Why? For God's glory and for your soul. Jesus is the perfect example of running the course that was set before him by the Father. He trusted him completely. He ran with endurance until, as he was nailed there on the cross, he drew his final breath. That is where he paid the price for your sin and for mine. Notice then it says, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. After Hebrews one three uh, says, after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. On high, Hebrews ten twelve. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. After you've gone out and you've worked, gone done the chores on the farm, you've worked at the hospital, you've taken care of people, you've taken care of the kids, you've done everything. What do you do? I know what I do after work. I sit down. <laughs> he had. And that's what Jesus did. He had completely paid everything. There's nothing you have to do to gain your salvation, to cover your sins. He has paid it all. Jesus kept his eyes on the prize, his purpose, his joy. He endured the unthinkable, and now he is exalted at the right hand of the Father. This was the joy that was set before him to do the Father's will and to save your soul. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again for you? If you say yes, maybe you're here this morning and you feel like your faith is being stretched to the brink of breaking. Maybe you're going through a dark valley and no matter how hard you try, you don't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. You feel crushed by the circumstances of this life. And you're asking yourself, is it worth it? If I'm honest, in the last four years and nearly four years we've lived in France, these are all things that we've wrestled through, we've worked through, my wife and I. Like, is it worth it? The answer is a resounding yes. It is worth it to run. The race of faith. And we know that because we are incur- of the encouragement we receive from the saints who have gone before us. And we know it because of what Jesus has done for us. Look at verse 3. It says, Consider him. And we're to ponder, to think about, to meditate on him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Fix your eyes and your mind on Christ, on Jesus, so that in Him, you can find the strength to keep going, to run with endurance. To close, I just want to read one of my songs that I really appreciate. It says, What a gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is now, there is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness, and my freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold my only hope is Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but Christ through me. The night is dark. But I am not forsaken. For by my side the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, his power is displayed. To this I hold my shepherd. He will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won. And I shall overcome. Yet not I, but Christ in me. No fate I dread. I know I am forgiven, the future it's sure, the price it has been paid, for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated, Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released, I can sing, I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. With every breath I long to follow Jesus, for He has said He will bring me home. And day by day I know He will renew me until I stand before the throne. To this I hold, my only hope is Jesus, all glory evermore to Him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ In me. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to run with endurance the race that you have set before us, and that we may bring you honor, and we may bring you glory uh, for all that you have done for us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.